The reason people aren't financially free is they don't know what to do and they don't know where to start. I want you to join Joey and I at the Virtual Inner Circle Live April the 4th through the 6th as we share with you the exact answers to those questions. We only do this event one time per year. I don't want you to miss out. Go to westwatwallstreet.com forward slash live and enter promo code podcast. When you're at this event, you're going to get your investor DNA. You're going to get access to up to six different passive income strategies. So you know, leaving this event, exactly what to do, taking our decades of knowledge so that you can start becoming financially free. Go to wealthwhitewallstreet.com forward slash live and enter the promo code podcast. Sally, whenever you get a chance to spend time with a guy that's, you know, done as much as Ken McElroy has, I mean, I think he he said he's upwards of, you know, 10 figures. That's That's pretty crazy. And I, what I loved about this interview, that he broke it down from starting in college to where he is now. And there's, there's a couple of things that I, I, I take away from it. One is that you got to grow at every level, right? We, we hear it all the time. Our mindset matters. Yes. Right. I, this isn't a woo-woo thing either, right? Sometimes people are like, ah, no, let's get to the heart. No. Your, your mindset matters. And he said early on, he had a scarcity mindset and that's what he had to get over. But it also is what put him in a position to learn, right? He was learning in that situation. Then he talked about as he grew to another level, his mindset mattered. He was in a cash out world, right? And he had to grow from it. And now he's at a, a, at a vision you know, way down the road, way past his life and thinking through what that looks like. And also he has to grow because his mindset matters. What was the big takeaway that you had from this? Well, I mean, it's such a pleasure and a privilege that we're speaking to the guy that Robert Kiyosaki calls his advisor, right? Right. In real estate. Like that's not something that just gets thrown around lightly. (laughs) Um, Nobody else has that title, right? And so for Ken to send the vision out to you as you're listening to this. It doesn't matter what your background was. It doesn't matter where you're at today. It matters on who do you need to become and your mindset has to level up. The thing that was said without saying it in this interview, Russ, is that your network matters. The people around you matter because that is part of what challenges your mindset, part of what brings you to the next level in your journey. And I love that Ken was able to share, I mean, really quite frankly with us, what he went through and how he's gotten to where he is. And man, I, I'm just encouraged by it. I know you will be too. Um, any, any last thoughts from you, Russ? This is a great episode. I know that you're going to find plenty of value in it. And if you haven't had a chance already uh, to connect with Kim McElroy, go to KimMcElroy.com. Lots of education, lots of other lessons to learn. Joey, let's jump in right now to our good friend, Kim McElroy. Welcome to the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast your guide to understanding how to get out of the Wall Street rat race and start your own mailbox money lifestyle. Now, don't let these handsome Southern draws fool you. These financial minds are teaching our country to enhance savings, increase cash flow, and create passive income, 
all without the help of Wall Street. Are you ready to break through? Now here are your hosts, Russ Morgan and Joey Murray. Wealth Without Wall Street Tribe, I am super stoked today to introduce you to our friend, the Ken McElroy in the house. Ken, so glad to have you. Hey, thanks, guys. Always great to connect with you guys and see what you're up to. Yeah, Ken, it's it's exciting to be able to share you with the audience. I know we got a chance last last fall to spend some time out in Scottsdale with our Passive Income Mastermind. For, for those who've been following you kind of on a high level, right, they get to see you talking on stages and and doing, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in real estate, but they don't necessarily know where you started. And I got a chance recently when we were in Dallas to hear some of that story. I, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about kind of the entree into real estate. It may be not as glamorous as what people would have thought. Sure. Well, I, I think like a lot of people, um, you, you know, I had great parents. They were not entrepreneurial. Uh, you know, they, my mom was a hairdresser. My dad was in construction. And so, you know, at a young age, I was, I don't know if your listeners remember this, but I would do S&H green stamps. I was, you know, doing bottle recycling. I was doing, you know, I had a, I had a paper route, all that shit that I was as a young man. And so, you know, I had, I had to make my own money always. And I was always hustling and doing, cause it, the, the option of getting money, uh, from my family uh, was zero. So, you know, so going to school, all that stuff. So, um, you know, I was, <laughs> I was doing all kinds of little crazy stuff just to try to get, you know, milk money, I guess. So, um, so I was lucky enough to get into college cause I had a wrestling scholarship. I was a decent high school wrestler. I, I got in and, um, then of course I'm still scrambling there trying to try to pay for it. My parents paid for what they could, but I was doing all these other things. I had three jobs at one time while I was still going to school. Um, and you know, just doing whatever I could to just try to get through school. But then I realized I wasn't that great of a wrestler. Um, I mean, you know, there was really not that big uh, next level for, you know, a wrestler out of college other than the Olympics. And, and so, I was like, I, I got to figure out what I'm going to do. And I was in the business, I was in business classes and I, my mind was being open, obviously there. And, um, and then I got an opportunity to manage an apartment building from, from a friend of mine who said, Hey, I got this 60 unit building and um, you know, would you, would you manage it? I said, well, I don't even know what I'm doing, but uh, I'd be happy to try. He's like, well, it's free rent. And I'm like, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> so done. Know, I'm in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, like, Again, I, you know, we're scrappy at that stage. You know, I didn't have any savings and I was just trying to make ends meet. And, and so it was, I remember $600 a month plus um, a, um, a one bedroom apartment. So I took this place over and I, to me, property management was pretty common sense. You get the bad people out and put good, you know, replace them with good people. There's a process to that. And the bad people, of course, are the ones that were doing damage or maybe um, you know, uh, other kinds of things and, or, and of course not paying rent. And then, uh, also just, I grew up in construction with my dad, so I, I knew how to fix stuff. So I was cleaning units, painting units, renting units, uh, vacuuming the building, you know, all that stuff. And I was doing it all. And the owner came one day about three or four months later, <laughs> he's like, man, like nice job. You like turn around this building. It's full. Uh, it's got, you know, we're collecting more than we've ever done and the expenses are being managed. And to, 
I, with a scarcity mindset at the time, I was trying to figure out how to do things for less, and I was just doing it innately. I was doing it because that's the way I grew up. Um, and he was like, holy crap, like this is incredible. And I was like, man, I'm on the wrong side of the desk. I literally was like, I need to be owning these things and doing this because I create a lot of value for that guy. Um, this is the greatest lesson. And I had, you know, I'd learned a lot of things in school uh, out of books, but not practically, you know, like when you learn accounting and you learn marketing and you learn finance and stuff like that, it, you, it doesn't really, the dots don't really connect. For, for, uh, they hadn't connected and they all connected during that time. And then, um, so obviously the building was going well, the owner was happy. He told um, the company, that was a management company that I was working for, this guy's the greatest. They took a notice in me and they said, you know, would you get your real estate license? Would you like to work for us? And that, you know, moved me uh, into the corporate office as a property manager. And that was my first and only job, actually. I, I did that for eight years, um, managing um, a lot of properties up and down the Western United States uh, for very uh, varying ownership partnerships and um, all in different conditions. So, you know, some were really brand new and new construction and some were 100 years old and, you know, just had all kinds of stuff. Well, that that's inspiring for those people that are came from the same background, you know, Russ and I share on the show all the time. Like my parents are pastors with the Salvation Army. So we did not have any money growing up. His mom was a school teacher. Dad was in construction. Same, same type of story. Now talk about, and it's great. You had that, that moment that you, it made sense. Like I need to be on the other side of the, the desk. Like that's amazing that you kind of put that together. But then what's the leap from being the guy that's making that guy successful to becoming the guy on the other, what was the next step in that, in that journey? Well, thanks. I think, you know, I, I, every, every new, every room I was in, I was always, I always tried to be the one that was getting the most information from the people in that room. So, so um, I always, for whatever reason, was cognizant of that, you know, whether that was coaches or mentors or whatever. Um, and so I, I found that I was really the problem with my mindset, how I grew up, you know, we can't afford it scarcity mindset, which is fine. My parents are obviously they, they did a great job. Um, but that was their mindset still is today. Uh, and, and so my, I just knew that I had my own barriers that I had set on my own. And I, I was watching other people doing things. I'm like, well, why not me? You know, like I, you know, why can't I live there or have that or, you know, and, and so I just somehow thought I, I just had to break through my own stuff. I was scared to death, to be honest. I, I didn't know how to buy a property. I didn't know how to talk to an investor. I didn't know how to get debt. I didn't have a nickel. I didn't have any track record or anything like that. But, um, but when property management, one of the cool things that you do know is you know how to create value. So I had years of taking properties that were not performing well and making them perform well. Cause in that business, what happens, you get fired. If somebody gives you an asset and says, we, you know, we need you to manage it well, and you don't, you get fired. And, that, that, that actually is fine with me. So I had to figure that out. So, so without even knowing it, 
I started to develop all these called the secret sauce of being able to see things in the rent roll, see things on the expense side, see things on the debt side, see things on uh, the labor and materials and utilities and property taxes and insurance and all of the things that make a property grow the net operating income or the NOI. So, you know, and you have to do that as a property manager. You have to take a look at the math is the math, you know, the financials tell the story. And so I started, you know, I started doing that. And so what I, what I realized was that was powerful for people that had money, you know, it was, you know, like, Oh, you, you can do that. I'm like, yeah, I could take this property and I can grow it to here. Just like I had done um, so many times before, but as a W2 or a property manager, I had done that and that was my job. Um, and um, so, you know, I took pride in that. And of course, you know, I was up against all these, you know, finance guys in the, in the you know, property management world, you know, all these people had a little more, I would call them more thoroughbreds, you know, that were working at this firm. And then here's this scrappy guy that just, you know, was an on-site manager, you know, somehow got promoted. So I, I felt also I had to prove something to everybody. So I worked, came, I was first one there, last one to leave, worked harder, uh, just tried to do everything I did when I was a wrestler. And, um, you know, and that's how I just apply that same thing with my life. And, and in all cases, in all cases, um, my, my, my problem has been me, my, my own limited thinking. Uh, my mindset is so important, right? I mean, we, we all come into this world and, and our, our environment shapes that thought process, but also the environment that you spend the rest of your life in can also define whether it will change or it will stay the same. As you started actually becoming an owner, right? My, my guess is you, you started changing the environment of people that you were spending time with. How, talk a little bit about some of the lessons that you learned as you started acquiring assets, because you've acquired millions and millions of assets, hundreds of millions of assets. There's been tons of lessons along the way, but for someone who's kind of sitting there looking back at where you started, and maybe that's where they are today, they're trying to say, okay, all right, I, I need to work hard. I need to open my mindset. What is another lesson that you would have given to your former, you know, younger self? Yeah. Well, I never ever started with money in mind. So not once. So I never started with, I want to make X amount of money. I, I obviously was just trying to, just like as a kid, I was just trying to provide milk money, you know, to provide some cash flow and all that kind of stuff. And what I realized is that as a property manager, I was um, only as good as um, the property was being managed, but as a real estate developer with, with passive income, I had a lot more stability, so I still could do that. Um, but on the other side, I, instead of taking my money and just giving it away to Wall Street, uh, to a financial planner or a wealth manager, let's say, I would rather, you know, I was managing my own money. I was buying, you know, I started with a two bedroom, two bath. I used my own um, and that cash flowed. And then I bought another one and I bought another one and then I didn't have any more money. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, I'm gonna have to figure this out. And then um, and then I said, listen, I. I don't have any more money, but I bought these with my own and, and I just need your money to be able to do it again. And then I put together a partnership and so it started slow. Uh, and, you know, and again, I just use the exact same and rinse and repeat model. It's literally look for about undervalue asset, create the value, 
go back and get refinance and return the money and keep the asset and move to the next one. And and that's what I did. And I just, my buildings, my property started getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, next thing I knew I was in the, you know, buying these big projects and we bought, um, we figured it out uh, last year, I, I, you know, somewhere around 3 billion uh, so far. Uh, we own 2 billion right now, uh, but I never started with money. I never started with the mindset. Uh, we don't sell. We're, we're long-term holders. So, um, you know, obviously if I sold, it would be crazy, but, but I, I rather have the reoccurring revenue. I love the passive income. Um, and you know what, and at some point, probably when I was in my forties, I said, this is, you know, what it's done is it's, it's given me my time back. So, so having that reoccurring revenue that passive income, um, gave me literally financial freedom to be able to spend time with my kids um, and, you know, and my family and go on trips and do stuff and then work when I want to work as opposed to having to. Um, and so, you know, I hit that probably 15 years ago um, where, you know, I was financially free. Um, and so from there, you know, I'm like, okay, how do I scale this and how do I get bigger and better and all that kind of stuff. So it's just evolved over time. Um, I didn't know any, I didn't know how to hire a CFO, a CEO, a CIO, a CMO, or all the C's, you know, I didn't know any of that, but, <laughs> but I just tried to figure it out with, you know, being around good groups of people and forums and mentors and masterminds and stuff like that are very, very, very important because, you know, uh, you know, I think the mistake a lot of people make and Robert Kiyosaki talks a lot about this in his book, um, the cash flow quadrant is. You, you know, you got the ESBI, which a lot of people have seen, you know, when, when you, you, you run out of time and capacity and then that keeps you small. So the minute you can leverage your time, get other people around, um, you know, delegate a little better. Also, I had to learn all that stuff. And, and then the final epiphany for me when I joined a group called YPO, which I'm in, been in for a long time, um, was, you know, well, my buddy said it, it was so clear and so concise. He's like, you know, your business uh, is actually, um, it shouldn't need you. You know, it should provide you everything you want, but you should not have to work in it. I'm like, so again, another mindset, you know, I'm like, you're right. That's exactly what a business is for. It's, it's so that if I want to come in, I can, like for stuff like this. You know, I was at the gym, uh, like, <laughs> You know, all all morning, and you know, I came in for this for you guys, but I don't want to have to be here. I want the business to produce money, so that uh, when I show up, I can. If you've listened to our show for any length of time, you've heard us talk about infinite banking and how we were able to use that concept to create over fifty thousand dollars a month in passive income. But it's just not that easy to figure out how does this all connect into my own personal system. Stallion, that's why we created the Passive Income Operating System, bro. It shows you how to turn active income into passive income. It makes all the steps come together. If you would like to get access to it as a podcast listener, we've never given this away in public before. Go to wealthwallstreet.com forward slash P-I-O-S. There was nothing worse than walking into class when you're in school and the teacher saying, pop quiz day. Why? Because you were unprepared. Are you unprepared, though, for financial freedom? Don't be. Find out how close you are by taking our 30-second quiz at wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash quiz. 
I love that, uh, Ken. Of course, you're speaking our language. Passive income greater than monthly expenses is um, the financial freedom formula that we live by, that we teach, that um, so many people are on the track with at Wealth Without Wall Street. Um, talk about the thing that just stuck out to me about what you just said is we hold on to our assets. We don't sell. Talk about the person. And we always we have operators that have different strategies as it relates to their investment strategy. And the investors should match the operator. Like their, their goals should be aligned. Otherwise, it's not a good fit. Talk about the people that work well in your deals because of that. And, and why, you know, you're different than a lot of the other operators that we talk to that have these short-term kind of value add and, and big exit type strategies. So in my early 30s, I started buying properties and uh, big ones, bigger, and, and uh, I was doing condo conversions uh, during this run. You know, it was awesome. So basically you take a 200 or 300 unit apartment property and you slice it up and you sell them off unit by unit. So let's say you buy it for 100 a door and you sell it for 200 a door. And I know that sounds crazy, but you could do that. So I did it a lot. So I did that uh, Portland um, in, uh, let's see, Portland, uh, Vegas, and Arizona, all, all the cities in Arizona. And, and so we did that on several thousand units. At the end of that, I had made a lot of money, I had paid a lot of tax, and I had worked my butt off for 10 years, basically, or maybe not complete, almost 10. Um, and I had bigger houses, nicer stuff, but I didn't own any real any assets because uh, I had sold them all off one by one. So for me, it was one big giant flip, you know, and, and uh, you know, unit by unit. And we were selling 50 units a month. I had a real estate company, I had a lending company and all that stuff, you know, soup to nuts. I was managing people, buying, you know, investors were buying them. So I bought the property, sold them off. And it was a great system and we made a lot of money. And, you know, we were at two or 300 people um, to run the whole things. At the end, I was like, man, I just, I just burned through my thirties and um, I go, I don't want to do that again. So now I'm going to put my other hat on and I'm going to do this passive income model. And that really was the difference for me is, is um, it, it's a lot more disciplined. It's harder to do because obviously, you know, if Ross, my partner and I sold today, you know, I don't know what the number is, but it's, I don't know, seven or 800, 900 million in equity or something, you know, that would be nice. But then what do you do with it? You know, like, you know, split it up between a bunch of wealth managers and call them every day. So I'd rather have it in, um, you know, these assets that, that defer tax and, um, you know, and then create legacy issues like philanthropy and stuff like that. We, we hired a full-time director of philanthropy. She worked for us full-time uh, seven or eight years ago. We created a foundation and, you know, like when you do that kind of stuff and you build these things, you have, you create legacy for your employees and you create legacy for your family. Uh, and there's all kinds of, there's a lot more you can do with that. Sure, you can have the money um, and buy, you know, I got everything I need, man. Like, I, I really do, you know. I, 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 you know, so at some point, it, it's just ridiculous to have so much. Well, it, it's good to hear that there, there's problems at all levels, right? I heard you say we, we're going to create legacy issues. 
That's it. That's it. Some people stop at just the legacy. We're going to create a legacy. You say we're going to create legacy issues, which what a great issue to have is what you've been able to build. And also just to know that too, that you're creating that cash flow that's going to last for a long time. Ken, when people listen to our podcast, we we say all the time, our, our objective is to help people who want to become financially free, get there faster. And there's three ways that we do it. And one of those ways is becoming a better investor. Obviously, you're one of the best investors out there. You've been successful. Your track record speaks for itself. Talk a little bit about the math. You said that a second ago. You know, it it always comes down to the math, being able to look at the financials, being able to, to see what makes a deal work and what makes a deal not. Help someone on a, on a basic level, if you would, talk uh, about what that math actually looks like for them. Sure. Well, I, I think there's a lot of biases people have on stuff, whatever, whatever that is. You know, so you look at people that are flippers or hard money people or you know, single family fix and flips or um, maybe they're self-storage people or, or whatever. You know, they're super biased and they have blinders on a lot, uh, which I'm fine with. But what, what happens is they ignore what I would call the red flags. They're all around. They ignore supply issues. They ignore migration issues. They ignore population trends. They ignore interest rate issues. They ignore cost of equity, cost of debt, you know, whatever, you know, tax stuff. And to be really, 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 really good at what you do, you have to, you have to keep an open mind on all of those things. And you have to be uh, really, um, you have to be really transparent and authentic about what the truth is because there's truth and there's reality and people's reality doesn't necessarily make the truth. So, so that's the first thing. And so what happens a lot of times is I always stick to the, the, to me, the truth is the math. So, you know, if I've got something that's 50% occupied and I want it to be a hundred, like everyone, the truth is, can that market support that period if it either can or can't and and you know if it can then great what are the rents going to be what's the income going to look like and all that kind of stuff so finding an opportunity that's 50 percent vacant in a market that's 100 percent occupied that's an opportunity that's the truth okay now that market can change i get it but it's not a perception it's not a reality it's not something you put on a business plan to try to raise money you know, it is or it isn't. The truth is what it is. And so that's the number one. Two, expenses, same thing. What is it going to cost me to run this thing? How much marketing am I going to need? How much is the insurance? How much is the property tax? What's my capital needs? All that stuff, once you figure out all that, it is what it is. And then now you have the cash flow, the true cash flow. Now, the property might not be doing that. That's different. But that's where creative management comes in. That's where you come in and say, listen, I tell all my managers, you know, we've got about 10,000 apartments. I say, listen, do you believe that you should be at least at market? And they all say yes. I said, okay, then that's my expectation. I'm not asking them to outperform market, although many of them do. I'm like, that's where I set the bar. So if the market in Austin, Texas is 90% occupancy and they're at 85, they're in trouble. If they're at 95, I pat them on the back and I give them bonuses. And that's that simple. So for me, it just boils down to math. So, and you can't hide from it. 
you can't hide from how much money did the property generate. You know, the, the cool part about financials, seller's financials or property history is that it's like real numbers, real numbers going to the bank, you know, uh, you know, you can get tax returns and all that kind of stuff. And sometimes it's harder than others, but the, you just follow that math and that logic. And then you just got to say, can I make it better or not? Um, and that's it. And so that's how I look at everything. And then in, and once you do that, then you layer in the, the, you know, the, the investor. Okay. So if I do that, is the investor going to make money? And so, you know, every investor wants what I would call a value add. It doesn't have to be, you know, buying something old and making it new. There's lots of inefficiencies that happen in a property at all levels. Um, and so, we just try to employ those concepts and literally we literally stick to math. I, I mean, I, I have investment calls every Tuesday uh, with my investment committee and we just are always solving to the investor need period. The property has to produce because the property is the only thing that pays everybody. So you have to buy it correctly and then it needs to produce what it produces. And, and what I find is that people skew those numbers, they, they're, they're a little too, um, you know, they call it puffery, you know, they, they're a little too optimistic in the, in the income, or they're a little too, um, you know, scarce on the expenses. And that typically, um, and sometimes they, they do that to raise equity, which is, you know, it's a very short term way to think. When you're looking at the future, right, as we start to wrap this up, we really appreciate you sharing so much with our audience. You start looking at the next, you know, we're recording this in the middle of 2023 and looking at over the next 18 months, maybe 36 months, what excites you? Where, where do you see opportunity and where, where are you waiting for those windows to open to be able to, to go through? Yeah. So I think a lot of times, you know, luckily I'm, I'm a little older than most people. So what that's done for me is it's, 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 it's enabled me to go through a couple different cycles. So in the late 80s, I was just coming out of school and, you know, things were different there. And then, of course, there's some stuff in the 90s and then in 08, we saw a big pop. Well, you know, so I learned through all of that. And so what happens is, in, you know, if you bought anything in the last five, six, seven years, all you've ever seen is this, you know. And so for me, I always make the most money on the buy and so, uh, you know, when cheap money hit, hit, and that's really what drove asset prices up. So when, when now that the Fed has increased their federal funds rate, it's actually driving prices down. It doesn't matter to me because I'm a long-term holder. So I don't really care what my equity is from year to year, as long as it produces cash flow. So I have a very different view on, on the way that property is supposed to provide cash flow. I'm not trying to exit in time something. So what I see now to answer your question directly is we're starting to see the asset um, prices come down as a result of higher interest rates. It's normal. Uh, my entire career was based on six, 7% interest rates. I mean, literally, if you go back and look, what we just came through was a gift. But if you started, you know, let's say seven or eight years ago, then, you know, what, what you're handing into looks very bad. But for me, I'm like, I'm glad these 3% days are over 
because we need a price adjustment and then we can buy again, um, again, just solving the cash flow. So, so that's what I'm excited about is um, I don't of course want anybody to lose anything at any time. I don't, I, 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 but there's a lot of people that have made some bad decisions based on timing. So they buy something and they want it to be X three years, four years later, it's not going to be X. Um, you know, there, I looked at a property uh, Tuesday, 400 some unit building um, that, you know, was quietly being shopped, wasn't even listed. That I, after calculating, I'm like, well, it's not even worth the debt today. Now, if rates go down, that could change. But today, based on a seller buying the property with today's interest rates, um, it's not worth the debt. So in that case, all the LPs are gone. They don't know they're gone, but they're gone uh, because no one's going to, you, you, a seller buys on cash flow too. And the cash flow today at 6% interest rates is a lot different than cash flow at 3%. So, uh, so I'm looking for a little distress it coming from people that have bought whatever it could be office retail industrial self-storage or multifamily we're looking at all that stuff uh, moving forward that, that's super interesting to just know the market is going to produce opportunities and okay. it's awesome to hear from somebody who's been through all those and to to give us a vision of, of what's coming and man I, I just appreciate you being willing to come on ken and and share with our audience because there's so many people that are kin in college right now. Yeah. Having the mindset, not seeing the opportunity, but knowing that there's gotta be something more. There's gotta be. And then even fast forward to Ken in his in his late thirties and realizing the real answer is not income. The real answer is not um, a big lump sum of money. It's cash flow. It's passive income and freedom. And uh, man, that's that's like the whole journey of our, our people. So thank you for being willing to come on. For those in our community that want to connect with you, Ken, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure. Well, my my website is kenmackler.com. But, you know, if they want to meet me, uh, the next event I'm going to be at in Scottsdale is uh, June 15th, 16th, and 17th. It's, uh, it's a limitless, it's called limitless, limitlessexpo.com. And we have 40 speakers there talking about not just real estate, but all kinds of things, you know, ways to, you know, side hustles, you know, because right now it's not a good time to buy real estate. So the question should be, what else should I be looking at and why? And so that's what Limitless is. Um, and uh, so I created it last year. We sold out. Uh, we had 1,500 people there. We had 40 speakers. I think we got more than 40 this year, but we got Kiyosaki, we got Dennis Prager, we got uh, Chris Voss, we got Patrick Bet David, we got Chris Martinson. We have all these people that are going to talk about all kinds of cool stuff. And and I think that you know for your listeners that want to come, uh, we got a promo code just MC50 MC50, um, and they get fifty percent off. And you know the tickets are I think well come May they'll be about two grand. So uh, they go up uh, May first, and then they go up again June first. So um, anyway, that would be a great way. Uh, I'd love to shake people's hands, uh, help encourage them on their journey, uh, let them know they're not alone. <laughs> you know, it's, it's sometimes it, 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 it does feel that way. Uh, but at this conference, you're going to find a lot of people trying to find answers uh, to what's, you know, where this is all heading and things that we can do. Even me, 
I'm trying to find out what's going on with the dollar, what's going on with gold, what's going on with bricks, what's going on with tax, what's going on, all that stuff. And if I'm not investing in real estate, what could I be doing now? And what should I be doing now? So that's what this conference is for. So cool. Ken, thank you again for coming on the show. It's been such a pleasure to spend time with you. Yeah, my pleasure, guys. Always good chatting with you. All right. You, you got to hear it. And we want you to take action. So just like Ken said, go to LimitlessExpo.com. Got a promo code MC50. If you want to find out anything, whether it's a side hustle, investing in real estate, tax. He said Chris Voss, one of my one of my new favorite books out there. Um, never split the difference, right? How, how how to be a better negotiator, which is great in any level of business that you're in. That would be a great event for you to attend. And we'll make sure we get that in the show notes as well as post that inside the community. If you haven't had time to, to rate and review the show, do that now and share it with somebody else so that they too can gain value from this episode. Thank you for listening. Have an amazing day. This has been the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show to break free of the Wall Street mindset and begin building wealth on your own terms in places you understand so that your wealth will never run dry. See you next episode.